and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday from 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and the website, of course, propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on the website, leave us a Google review if you would. And of course, if you're watching on social media, please leave your comments in the comments section wherever you're watching us. And if you'd like to suggest a topic or any questions you'd like us to answer, then please get in touch. Hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you don't have time to watch the whole episode, you can get us on the run, so to speak, uh, from our podcast every Monday, 10 a.m. You can hear the show on our podcast on the platforms that you uh, see there on the other side of the screen. And of course, the show is also broadcast across Dilsey Radio every week. Let's have a look at the property news with Joe Joshi. First story this week we're going to be looking at. Um, now, this is interesting because we're led to believe, aren't we, Joe, that landlords are leaving the uh, buy-to-let market uh, and the rental market, of course, in their droves. But according to this new survey by Land Bay, 32% of buy to let landlords intend to buy property in the next year, according to their survey. Almost four out of five of these landlords, 78%, said they were building their portfolio, while 38% citing an increase in the number of tenants and 34% being swayed by the potential drop in house prices. Um, and I suppose th th there could be some sort of uh, drumming up of trade here going on with this survey, I suspect. But uh, truth of the matter is, Joe, that there's never been more tenants, prices are falling, um, and yet landlords are leaving in their droves, so to speak. And we, we know why that is, of course, interest rates. But for some, there is going to be an opportunity here, isn't it? Because they're going to get a reasonable deal on a property and there's plenty of people that want to rent. Oh, yeah, there's no question about the um, shortage of rental properties in the marketplace, uh, no matter where you are uh, in the country. And <clears throat> certainly in the South, it's, uh, uh, you know, very, very um, high. Um, yes, I think the government um, probably hasn't helped with all these um, uh, suggestions of uh, changes in policies and changes of taxation. That's what's actually made people um, leave in droves, apparently. But... Uh, I think there's two things that we've got to consider here. One is that um, there, there will be opportunities now that there are some that are leaving and um, the and then there'll be some that are coming into a new. The new ones will come into it with vigor, um, with new rates and new benchmarks. So the benchmarks are now set at the new rates. And so those new rates will start to evolve as to what people can borrow uh, on the buy to let market and subsequently as you rightly say with prices adjusting a little bit uh, it gives people an opportunity to say well look i can now get into that which i may not have done that's not to say that the um, borrowing is any easier the borrowing is still tough but if you are prepared and do your sums on the on the new rates i.e saying to yourself that it's going to be you know, five, six, seven percent um, in, in, in the interest rates for, for the buy-to-let market. And then, of course, you know, you adjust your rental value based on what the income is going to be. There will be a new set of people coming into the market. And I think that's probably where they're trying to either, as you like to say, drum up business or just seeing that that change will happen. Because, you know, we know um, and historically it's been shown that house prices and property market is resilient uh, to a large extent and people always want to be involved in that. 
They're saying it's quite regional, this, of course, and uh, I guess, you know, you're going to be looking for bargains, aren't you? So the east of England, 46% say they're looking. In the Midlands, it's popular as well, uh, this this notion of getting additional properties. And it's followed by 39% in the north, but just 23% of people in London and the south looking to uh, to get more properties. And I guess that's down to, to cost. One in four landlords, 25% were undecided on their future plans, while some said they're not actively looking, but if opportunities arose, they might consider further purchases. And of course, there is this thing that as landlords are selling properties, then other landlords might be looking at what's been rented out or is currently rented out, and they could perhaps buy into a ready-made rent- rental. Yes, providing prices are, are adjustable according to the figures. Now, the, the attraction, uh, perhaps in the previous time, for a rental investment is not as attractive now primarily because the borrowing is now so much higher. So people look at the yield, i.e. the uh, return on investment um, against what they are actually borrowing or perhaps having to put their own money into. If you've got cash and you bought, you know, you bought something cash, of course that makes perfect sense that now that the, rent, the rents are much higher, you're going to get a better return. However, if you have borrowed, and that's the, that's the way the problem is coming to a large extent, most people that are coming out of the buy-to-let market are people that had borrowed at a lower rent and, of course, had rented out at a lower rent. However, the rents now need to be hiked uh, quite drastically because the borrowing percentage is much higher. And those tenants that are in those properties are probably not in a position to pay much more on the rent. So landlords are actually dipping into their own pocket to pay their uh, buy-to-let mortgages um, and finding that actually they're now paying for somebody else to live in that property without making their profit. And that market, obviously, is the market that people are leaving in droves because it just doesn't make financial sense anymore. Not that they want to get out of the market and not that they want to let people down that are renting those properties, but fundamentally it is about what works for the pocket. And if it doesn't work, they've got to get out. On the other hand, there is a new set of new landlords that are coming into the market who have obviously now going to be working their figures on the current borrowing capacity and of course the new higher rents achieved so as long as they are making some money in return uh, of their investment then chances are they will come in and that will happen i mean a couple of years down the road we will see the market back into where it really is you know we've had um, a lot of things to cope with um, a lot of changes and a lot of um, things that are not in our hand, not in our control, which are not always domestic, but can be international. All of those things have not helped the marketplace. It's. Um, I was going to ask you actually whether you actually think it's still worthwhile as a as a as a as a sort of career choice, if you want to call it that. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, obviously the interest rates, but then this government intervention, you know, the renters' reform bill. I mean, there's so many what ifs and, and and maybes that haven't been decided as yet. So, you know, if you are looking to get into uh, property rental through buy to let, do you still think it's worthwhile, or would you say, do you know what, there's easier ways of making a living? Well, the answer is there is an easier way of making a living now. If you have some uh, deposit money and you put it on a long-term deposit, you know, your bank or building society or some lenders out there are offering you very good fixed rates in return for your savings. Primarily, you could say, you could argue that, well, why do I want to have the hassle of, uh, you know, dealing with leaky taps, as I call it, tenants and all the other problems that go with it? 
just because I can make a couple of hundred thousand pounds, sorry, a couple of hundred pounds a month, um, you know, on, on, on that work. But the answer is, um, it's not just about the day-to-day buy-to-let, you know, yield return. It's also about the capital gain in the value in the long term, which you may not gain from a building society or a bank. So if someone is bought today and rented it and it kind of washes its own face for argument's sake, you might find that in 18 months time, the same property has gone up by 10 or 15,000 pounds. And so therefore there is a return on investment plus that you've actually, you know, managed to get a little bit of return on your monthly payments back from when you're renting it out. So those that want to get in property will just continue to get into property, Paul. I don't think that that's gonna sort of take anybody away. It's just about managing their expectations and managing what they want in a return for their investment. And of course, if we end up with a Labour government, there's a lot of uh, rumour going around that Angela Rayner's thinking of introducing rent caps. So where would that sit with landlords? Not favourably, I would suggest. Um, well, you know, this is where governments, um, whoever they are, have got to wake up and smell the coffee each time. They are not in charge of people's money. They are, it's not their money and nobody would want them to, if they, if they were an ordinary layman, they wouldn't want any government to tell them what they can and can't do because they cap the money or they can't cap the money or what kind of rents they can charge or what they can't charge. I mean, it really isn't none of their business to a large extent. They get enough out of the taxations a part of it and I think they should be very grateful for what they get out of that. So Angela Rayner is, um, as most of the uh, red party at the moment is actually barking up most of the wrong trees. I think they're just scoring points, Paul, to be honest with you at this moment in time, and none of those points are really scoring well um, in, in either of them. I'm not saying the blues are any better, none of them. I mean, this renters' reform is a complete, um, you know, a, a load of rubbish as far as I'm concerned, because it's, it's about fixing something that really isn't broke as far as I'm concerned. You know, there are things that you can tweak, we've discussed this before, that you could maybe have a 21A, which may allow some some changes, but the, the changes that they are, are asking are, are too drastic and they are driving away. On the other hand, it's interesting to see that our learned friend, Mr. Michael Gove, who has been an instrumental part of all of this wrongdoing, now says that it's important to have the PRS, the private rental sector, because he knows right now he's got loads of people who are homeless sitting in hotels or whatever it is that they're paying to, to cover themselves. Um, and he's probably doing a, a, a U-turn of saying, oh, we now know how valuable, you know, um, the private rental sector, sector is. And so he's got to actually um, start to motivate the, this, this renters reform in the right way as opposed to be the wrong way. Yes, it will be interesting to see, won't it, for sure. Um, let's move on to our second story. Um, and the more I read about build to rent, the more I'm convinced that this is where the government sees the private rented sector in the long run. Big organisations, institutional organisations run by pension companies uh, that then rent out these massive buildings that they've built with these new lifestyle apartments for people with gyms and all the rest of it. And when you look at these figures, Joe, you think, well, they're definitely, this is where it's going. The UK's build to rent sector could almost double in total value over the next five years, reaching 126 billion, would you believe, by 2028. 
Knight Frank's done this research and they say the total value of existing and pipeline build-to-rent stock has already doubled over the four-year period. Uh, the firm valued the sector worth $35 billion in 2019, increasing to $71 billion in 2023. There are currently 90,000 completed build-to-rent homes across the UK in schemes of at least 75 units. Uh, and additional 67,000 units are under construction and 74,000 have full planning permission, bringing the total value to 230,000 homes. Well, there's the government's target <laughs> in one little sector. That's right. And, and that's you're absolutely right. It is where the government is, is making a go. They're obviously making the PRS for the small individual a little tougher and challenging and are working with the corporations and it's always corporations that obviously line their pockets to a large extent uh, for, for donations and so forth. And, and so um, companies like um, some of the big supermarkets, superstores, those are all companies that have got um, land, they've got properties, they've got scenarios where, you know, for, for example, if you take someone like Tesco's, they've got lots of out of town or close to town shopping facilities where they've got big car parks and, and nothing above really and they are looking to sort of see how they can actually uh, maximize that um, and it works really well for them and it works really well for the government because they're centralizing and utilizing that and of course uh, in a funny sort of way they they could hit their targets that they've been dreaming about for many many years um, by simply saying we're now producing you know all this uh, accommodation um, through the uh, build to rent sector um, and and we're actually you know providing homes for those that haven't are, are able to afford it so yeah it is definitely the way to go and funding to, to the best of my knowledge is a lot easier on this this sector um, primarily because it's got something that services the borrowing and that is um, a big thing for any lender so if you've built uh, a block of flats for example and you you gotta keep them as opposed to waiting for them to sell you know, the waiting time for sell could be six months, could be a year, could be 18 months. But with a build to rent situation is that the minute, you know, it's finished, there are people that are moving in and rent started, rent rolls starting to come in. So it's definitely an area that I think um, is going to go a long way. And certainly there's enough interest uh, in the marketplace for that. It is amazing, isn't it, how, um, you know, when the, when the market seems to be depressed at the moment, that this sector is burgeoning beyond belief. Um, and there just seems to be ready money available. And one assumes because of the places where they're being built, brownfield sites, etc., the, the planning is almost expressly um, driven through uh, to the point where um, it all seems too good to be true. But I, I don't know about you, but I can see a situation coming whereby, because one of the things we've learned with the student build to rent has been the fact that there is these huge... Uh, annual charges for the facilities that are provided and I can see that becoming something that will need regulation when that gets out of hand because it's inevitable it's going to. Oh yes there's no question about um, uh, you know all the facilities that are being incorporated in this uh, um, build to rent sector because they're targeting a, a new younger market equally there is a um, older market <coughs> perhaps professional people who are working from home you know, have all of those things and they want the gym, they want maybe a restaurant bar type of operation within the building, they want socializing sectors, they want, you know, snugs in, 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 in there, a bit like the student accommodations that have been built uh, in different parts of the country. So, 
you know, uh, I think they've taken a leaf out of that book and then realized that, you know, there are ordinary people who also would like to just jump on that sort of stuff. Then the next thing that will suffer, of course, is all these gyms that are propping up left, right and center here, there and everywhere. Those will all become vacant because obviously the facilities will be within where they're living. Um, and um, so there'll always be a, uh, a revolutionary method going out for one sector or another. Yeah, you can imagine that the gyms must be having a tough time of it right now, especially with the increased competition, as you say, from those build to rents. Let's move on to a different tack and talk about international investors looking up uh, big cities in the UK. We've always known that London has been very attractive to uh, international investors. But um, a new report from Al Ryan Bank says that uh, London is the top global destination for property investment from Gulf states in spite of turbulent market headwinds. Uh, the 2023 Gulf Corporation Council, the GCC, uh, and their investment barometer surveyed 150 investors from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the UAE with an average net worth of $208 million. And they found that a third of these people have brought property in London over the last 12 months, more than any other major global market. The research also found that those investing in London over the period spent more at an average of $90.8 million, with Tokyo $90.4 million and Zurich 89.7, the next highest. So London's the top choice for the Middle East, Tokyo next and then Zurich. And it uh, seems to me that most of those places have one big connection and that's to money and markets of money. <laughs> yes, it's funny how where the money is, it gets attractive. But I think there are many other uh, underlining issues that um, are probably not being brought to the forefront, but they will come naturally to the forefront when time comes. Um, and of course, these uh, um, investments that are coming from the Middle East and so forth is not something that's new now for. It's been happening for way too long already. Um, and they've been investing in not just, you know, buy-to-let accommodation or property or three-bed semi-houses. They've been investing in multinational brands, businesses and so forth for a long, long time. If you just look back on some of the things that people from Qatar have invested in, let alone on many football clubs that we read about. They've invested in places like uh, Harrods um, and Selfridges and all the other major brands that have all sorted of that. So it, it is a question of uh, what all of that leads to. Of course, they know that they have employees in there and then they start thinking, well, actually, we can, uh, you know, um, circumvent the whole thing by offering our employees accommodation and so therefore we can actually buy lots of blocks of flats or build them up or do all those things so it's just it's just basic common sense in terms of a business uh, strategy of what people are saying that well if they got the cash they're in a position to do it of course they have the cash and 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 the uk and all of those other countries that we talked about are interested in having in uh, inward investment cash investment and of course you know, UK has been always at the top of the list and certainly with all of the Middle Eastern uh, um, blocks, um, they've been coming into the UK for as long as I've been uh, in the business, which is over 40 years now. So it's not something that's new, but it's just an opportunity. Isn't it? Every, every cloud has a silver lining. We have got a cloud at the moment. With, and the silver lining is, is the investors that are coming in from there. And they see that perhaps this is a good window of opportunity where house prices may settle for a little while 
you know, as I call it, probably just park in neutral. There might be the odd reversal, but most of it's going to be neutral. And then in 18 months, two years, when the new color or the new government comes in uh, or the same government comes in, whatever happens there, you know, they've got another four or five years to start to, to plan. And that will mean that the market will shift and people will start to see capital growth on their investments. So it's a great time for people to come in if they um, they have the gumption to sort of say, OK, let's dip our finger in this and um, let's see if we can actually come out of the right side. It's interesting that 95% of these people that were surveyed have all invested in the UK property market in the last five years. The average value of their investment, $81.9 million, by the way. Um, and the research also found that almost nine in 10 view the UK as a strong investment opportunity. 85% say that their confidence in the market has increased in the last 12 months, which is interesting, citing surplus demand, reliable investment returns, strong rental growth, and the availability of diverse assets. And I guess you've got commercial in all of that as well. But on the, ba on the balance, Joe, do you think that all of this investment, because also that, that that investment has inflationary pressures, doesn't it? And therefore, I'm thinking about the first-time buyer at the bottom of the chain. It's not good news for them, is it? It's never been good news for the first-time buyer, and that's that's the problem. If there is one issue that is within our property purchasing system, is that we are reliant uh, very heavily on the first-time buyer. First-time buyers' dreams, ambitions, and wants and wishes are always to buy their home. They get further and further away. When the buy-to-let program came in some years back, that actually made it even harder for the first-time buyer because, you know, the buy-to-let were um, people that were perhaps uh, in, the, in their 50s, late 40s, retirees around the 60s, who had um, surplus cash that they thought, well, actually, I'm not getting any return on this sitting in a building society or bank. I'll go and buy a flat and I'll rent it out and that rental will pay or substitute, subsidize my pension. So everybody went down that route and the people that suffered were the first time buyers. And that's one of the reasons why I've always said, and we've said it on, the, on, the, on our programs many times, and I've certainly reiterated time and time again, that you know, if the government were really smart, it doesn't matter who they are, they would actually provide a vehicle for people that do have that sort of 50, 60 range people to say, look, you know, if you want to invest, invest in some bonds or something that's going to give you a guaranteed return and go on your cruise instead of having to deal with leaky tap. They don't want to do it as much as anybody else don't want to do it. But that will then open the window a lot, much, lot more for first-time buyers. And I think that is what has to happen because without the first-time buyers, we are never going to actually motivate the machinery that we've always used to. So unless the first-time buyer comes along, um, and, and starts to say, okay, well, I want to buy. Then the next person can't move to the next property and, and so forth and so forth. And eventually to a, a family home, which they may stay a bit longer. So the first time buyer section has to be more evolving um, than it has been uh, to date, but it's too far. So when investment comes from outside, like the Middle Eastern, for example, I'm not saying that they're first time buyers, but the fact is that they are touching properties, perhaps in blocks, perhaps in groups, perhaps, perhaps with planning permission to develop um, and then not selling them on and maybe just renting them out. They are coming in and scuppering that market for the first time buyer.
Well, if you want to know where the Middle Eastern uh, money men are looking and focusing their investment, over half uh, look at central London. But if that's not your bag in terms of the price, then here's the places that they're putting their money. So maybe you should consider the same. Liverpool, 34%. Manchester, the same. And then it's East London, interestingly. And then Birmingham, Brighton and Newcastle are the top five destinations outside of London. So those are the places where the money men are investing. And interestingly, 52% of those people, Joe, are looking at commercial investment, office space, which is interesting, bearing in mind we're working from home. Well, office space is, uh, you know, it's a, it is, a, in my book, a, a ship that has sailed, um, but there are still many office blocks or types of properties that will allow itself to be converted perhaps into more residential. If you look at just those areas that you've mentioned, those areas are areas where the Middle Easterns have already invested heavily. You know, your Manchesters, your Liverpools, your football clubs, your Newcastle, your football clubs, you know, they that's a home for uh, an area where they've now said, well, okay, we've got a, a commercial business football club investment we now need to start to look at what the residential stuff is and the other types of investments that are going to start to come in. So one, it's like night and day, one leads to the other. It is, it is where those people are going to focus. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're all the right places. I believe that, uh, for example, um, you know, I think Luton, for argument's sake, which is probably not even on the radar to a lot of people, is a great potential place now to invest. Why is that? Well, Luton Express starts from there to uh, St Pancras, 35 minutes in, in a travel. And I think that that's, that's potentially a great place to start, even though you, know, you don't think Luton is an area that you'd want to. But from London's point of view, you know, I could, it could take me an hour and a half to do 20 miles sometimes in London. If you can do uh, Luton to, to St Pancras in 35 minutes, I think it's, it's a good shout. Um, so there are many others, but those are not focused because they're not where other investments going on. Um, and all, all airports are, are a good investment because we know that they are hubs for local industry, local jobs, and of course, transport and travel and, and, and hospitality. Well, you're spot on there, Joe, because the Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC, not the GLC, the GCC, they, uh, they say that these uh, investors look for especially areas of regeneration. So where there's a big regeneration product, pro project like uh, Old Oak Common, for example, just south of London, um, they're looking for, for developments like that and then looking to invest in residential property around those regenerated areas. So what you're saying about Luton would stack up, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Luton and the airport and, and the fact that they've provided this fast service, a bit like Stanford Express, a bit like Heathrow Express, they've now got a Luton Express, all of those things make eminent sense for, and you, you can still, you know, three-bed semi, you can pick up for probably second £300,000, three fifty. but when you look at what you're getting in, in a flat in some other parts, you can, it's worth travelling 35 minutes to get yourself a nice house. Mm. Final story today that we're going to look at. Short and sweet, these stories today. That's why we've done more than our usual three. But I thought this was quite interesting. Um, and you never really spare a thought for students until you actually have any in your family or you were indeed once one yourself. Um, but spare a thought for the poor students at the moment. And I know you're going to say, well, what's, the, what's wrong with them now? But rents for student accommodation have increased by an average of 14.6% over the past two academic years, according to a new policy report uh, by Unipol and the Higher Education Project. 
Policy Institute. As expensive cities, the analysis deliberately excluded London um, and Edinburgh to give more balanced view of rents outside of these markets so they're not skewed by the big uh, attractive university town or cities of London and uh, Edinburgh. So in 21-22, average rents stood at 6,500 and increased to 7,500 roughly in 2023-24 to 24, across the key 10 regional university cities. That's Bristol, Exeter, Glasgow, Leeds, Liverpool, Nottingham, Bournemouth, Cardiff, Portsmouth and Sheffield. Across England, average annual rents now stand at 7,566 for the current academic year. And this is the figure that really burns the average rent equates to more than three quarters, 76% of the maximum maintenance loan. So three quarters of their maintenance goes on just rental. Yeah, well, you know, the reason, reason I smile there is that it's not just their uh, rental, it's, it's back to mum and dad to, to support that part of it. Uh, because, um, you know, you, you need to give them the accommodation. And of course, those uh, areas, especially around university towns, are, are now very, very expensive to, to rent. Um, they're getting more and more expensive. And I think what really tops those up is international um, students, in all honesty, again, because international students come in, they are normally paying a hefty amount, uh, mostly upfront for the entire time. Um, and, and of course, you know, if you're getting good money and all of it up front, you know uh, it makes eminent sense to derive your business in, in that way. And that's what you want each time. So the p domestic people, the kids that are here and the parents that live here, then actually suffer because they're having to match those rental values. And if some, in some cases, um, you know, con contribute towards them, or um, in, other, in other ways, they've got to actually increase the amount so that they can secure the best possible accommodation for their children. Um, so it's, again, a sweet spot for most investors are around universities um, because they know that you know, every um, uh, term or every, every year, there's gonna be a rollover of new people and almost they can increase their rents if they looked at their, um, a short short of tenancy agreements they could probably look to increase their rent you know annually um and what do you do you're in it aren't you so you're gonna to have to find the money and if you don't find the money then it's back to the bank of mum and dad all the time to say well look this has got to be it's got to be done you know you've got to pay for this so yeah i think i think um you know the the uh, accommodation is um getting more and more expensive i think the cheaper accommodation is probably what they call is the worst accommodation and that's because some landlords have never upgraded and moved their properties forward. But young students, they are interested in modern. I mean, the last time that uh, my daughter was at Loughborough and um, we had to sort of take her into uh, accommodation, that accommodation was kind of, you know, what we talk about in um, the uh, the rent to, uh, sorry, build to rent scheme where, you know, they got a snug and they got a coffee shop and, you know, everything was in there. But that's what they want to do. So they'll pay the price to be in the right location. 
Yeah, so we said the average was about 7,500 per year. Don't go to university in Bristol at the moment. The highest annual rent in the UK at 9,200 per year, which is more than the maintenance loan itself. However, if you're looking for a cheap university location, it's Liverpool, believe it or not, Cardiff and Sheffield. Rent's there as low as 6,500 a year. So those are the places to consider going to university. But I guess, really, from from a... Uh, you know, students are, are not uh, what's the word uh, uh, spared from the problems that landlords have because even if you're renting to students, you've still got your mortgage to pay, and if that's gone up, then you're going to have to pass that on to to the students in terms of additional costs in the form of rent, aren't you? Oh yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, it, it, the the buck gets passed on, and ultimately, you know, we the consumer have to end up paying it because if we want our children to have the right education and the chosen subject that they want to be and in the right place, then you've got no choice but to you know go to those. And we all want to try and do the best. And if the best university is going to cost you £9,000, then that's what, you know, what's, what's going to have to happen to a large extent. And they know that. Um, you know, the landlords know that. The landlords now will say, well, actually, it's not because we want to charge you more, it's because everything else is costing us more. And that is a standard conversation in no matter what. You go to a supermarket and find out that, you know, uh, the, the price for bananas has gone up because, you know, it's more expensive to ship them across back again. So it's just relative, isn't it? And unfortunately, we can't get away from it. And even if they weren't actually having to do that, when there's a lot of people that don't have to do that, they're still doing it, is using that as an ex- excuse to say, well, things have gone up, so I've got to charge that. There are many landlords, I can tell you, that actually don't have mortgages. They've got properties cash owned. They don't need to actually raise the money or the mm. rent basis that they've got to compete for mortgage. They just think, well, this is their window of opportunity now because everybody else is charging it. We can charge it. Yeah, absolutely. And then they've got the money to invest in, in, in more property, which brings us back to that very first story that we've been talking about today. So, Joe, we must leave it there. That's another Property Matters. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you again on another Property Matters soon. <laughs>